Hello, everyone. Um, thank you for coming along. Uh, this is a, a small chat um, about M Pavilion. Um, firstly, Womenjika, or welcome, um, in Boonarong. Uh, we'd like to pay our respects to the um, uh, uh, original owners of the land on which we meet, the Boonarong people, and pay our, pay our respects to their elders past, present and into the future. Um, M Pavilion is uh, a project. Um, it's a gathering place. Um, it's a pavilion. Uh, it was initiated by uh, the Naomi Milgram Foundation, and this is number two. Uh, the first pavilion was built uh, last year um, and it was designed by an architect called Sean Godsell. Um, my name's Robert Buckingham and I'm the creative director of, the of M Pavilion and I'm joined today by Brendan McNiven from Arup. Um, and we thought we'd have a bit of a chat about building this pavilion um, and uh, the aspects uh, that that entailed. And one of the things uh, that was very important to us, this year the building was designed by a British architect, an architecture firm called ALA, um, the principal of whom is uh, Amanda Levite, uh, a British architect. And Amanda had been to, um, been to Australia. Naomi Milgram um, commissioned her to build this pavilion. And she was very keen to look at using um, new technology, new materials, and really thinking about what a pavilion meant. Um, one of the first, when she came here, one of the first people that she contacted was Arup. Arup are engineers, um, very well respected, who she'd worked with in the UK. But maybe Brendan might tell us a little bit about Arup. Yeah, so Arup is, um, we're a global firm. I like to think of uh, Arup as a very informal firm, so we're like the the biggest small company in the world, to me anyway. I, I joined Arup 27 years ago up in Franklin Street in Melbourne when the office was uh, 25 odd people. And uh, I think it's grown to about 300 people now, but it still has that same small uh, company feel about it. So um, we're a global company. We're one of the few true global companies in that we are employee owned and we, we invest a lot of money in making sure that we're a, a single company so there's no boundaries between our groups so it, it means that we share work and share information so um, Amanda actually came and spoke to Ed Clark who's one of our engineers in the UK and they did a little bit of a concept work and uh, you know, we've you know, been the same company I worked in London uh, during my 27 years I spent two or three years over there and uh, you know, no Ed, and uh, it's a very seamless uh, journey between all of our offices. So they, they naturally brought the work over here, and we worked together through a lot of video conferences in the, the afternoon here and the very early morning there to actually uh, work up the design. And I suppose just in background, um, Arup uh, are probably one of the. I suppose one of the most um, recognised engineering firms in the world. Um, importantly in Australia, they were the engineers of the Opera House. Um, the company began in the 1930s, is that right? Uh, yes, that's right, yep. So uh, Oves, I think one of his first jobs is uh, the Penguin Pool. So he was a pioneer of reinforced concrete. And the Penguin Pool, just in case you don't know, it's this fantastic uh, facility in the London Zoo. I think it might even still be there, but it's, it's two opposing uh, helical ramps, so it's like a double helix that winds itself around, so the penguins sort of get a bit of interest in, in going up and not quite knowing where they're going to end up at the top of the bottom of the ramp. Um, and, and like you say, we're, we're lucky 
we have a very strong buildings pedigree, so we work with a lot of the very good architects around the world, and, and architects tend to come and seek us out because we, we say um, yes more than no when they come up with ideas that they want to, to put forward into buildings, ideas like this. So a, a few other things around Melbourne that we've worked on, we, we did um, all of the renovations to the gallery with Mario Bellini about 10 years ago. Uh, we did the, the Melbourne Museum with Denton Corker Marshall. We did uh, 101 Collins Street, also with DCM. Um, oh, this goes on. There's a, I, could, uh, I could bore you to tears with all of the, the Melbourne projects we've worked on. I suppose what was nice about this project was that sort of sense that we were working with a, um, a British architect, but we really wanted it to be uh, a collaboration between um, Britain and Australia. So the builders are... Um, Kane Construction, based in Melbourne. But probably importantly, when Amanda first spoke to Arab, she talked to them about the idea of, work, of wanting to do something um, working with carbon fibre and also working with very thin uh, resin or, or perspex. And so Arab then found, in Australia, a company that could do that job. Yeah, that was, that was Mouldcam. And, and Mouldcam were very central to the process. So like a lot, of, uh, a lot of engineering projects that aren't your run of the mill, um, you know, clients like Robert and Naomi uh, and Amanda, the architect will employ a company like Arab to do all of the uh, conceptual and schematic design. So we, we came up with the, uh, or helped Amanda come up with the ideas and did numbers on what the, the sizes would look like. So you know, thin carbon fibre columns, 45 millimetres diameter. You know, worked out some of the wind loads again with some help from the industry with Mel Consultants, who are very good um, wind engineers in, in Melbourne. And uh, we, we took it to a point where we had a, a reasonable idea about what the structure would look like. Um, but something so uh, different and uh, new to the industry, like carbon fibre, really needs a specialist contractor who's used to, to making and, uh, and constructing things out of the material to take it to the next stage. And that's exactly the role that Moldcam uh, performed on the job. So they took what was a um, schematic uh, design uh, of ours and Amanda Livitz, and then we sat down with them and, and talked about how they'd actually build it and manufacture it, and, uh, and the design developed a level of detail. And it was mainly around the, the ribs in the, um, in the, the pedals that you see, and uh, in particular the, the, the fixity connections at the top of the poles and, and back to the ribs. Um, it, it was, it was, I have to say, it was a very enjoyable process and uh, I was asked just five minutes ago, you know, is this not a bit small for Arab? You know, th these are the sorts of jobs that get you up in the morning getting to work on, on things like this. And, uh, and particularly because it draws good people and one of them's over here, um, Sam. And, and, you know, I remember a lot of, you know, afternoons and, and sessions just working through all of the details with the lights and, and the possibilities of how we put the sound in and hide the speakers and and all of the rest of it, and yeah, right the way down to the nitty-gritty details of the, the timber decking and things. So when, when you get a, a team like we had on this one together, it's a fantastic, really enjoyable process working through all of the detail to produce something that's, you know, it's, it's elegant and it's refined and, and it, it comes together well. Um, I suppose what was nice was, uh, as Brendan said, the way we did it, because obviously we were working with um, uh, a British company, we had a team here and we did conference calls, I think, mm, nearly every fortnight. Um, so Arup 
both in the UK and in Australia worked together. Um, Sam Redston, who works with us and worked on the lighting and the electric, uh, the, the some of the technical issues to, uh, regarding the building, um, and then Moldcam were in in Brisbane. They're a business-based company, and. They were sort of sought out because they do a lot of work um, with architecture, also working with artists, building um, often products out of um, resin. But they've also started off in um, uh, in sort of shipbuilding, working in working with yachts, and that was something I suppose Amanda was quite familiar with because in when she built one of her other famous buildings uh, with her then partner. Um, for a company called Future Systems was the media centre at Lords, And so that building, which you probably have seen, is sort of a very um, modern sort of bubble-type building in that traditional setting. But they worked with um, uh, shipbuilders to build that. And so I think her sense was probably looking outside the traditional construction industry to find someone who could build something which was so thin. The, the petals that we call uh, are about three mil thick. They're reinforced with carbon fibre so this carbon fibre, the technique is that they make a big mould and then they use carbon fibre which they stretch through it to give it the give the these petals the strength and then of course they also sit on, sit on a carbon fibre rib um, <coughs> underneath um, and then the carbon fibre columns. So in a way she saw her original concept was this sort of trying to create a man-made sort of canopy, like a tree canopy in a garden. Um, she wanted the building to move. Um, it moves a little bit if you push some of the outer columns. It's probably a little more solid than she had originally anticipated, but I suppose that was partly the fact that we didn't want it to blow away. Yeah, that's right. And, and that was one of the really big design challenges, was designing something that is flexible um, in a light wind. And, uh, and in a wind like we had before, you can actually see that the petals ripple a little bit and the, the columns will move a little bit. Um, in, a, in a firm wind, you notice it a bit more. Um, but we, we had to really design for that case, but also design for the case where you get a, a full you know, up-to-code wind speed come through. And uh, you know, we can't have these things blowing around the gardens, you know, <laughs> knocking into people and causing injuries and other things. So it's very difficult to actually design for those two extreme uh, conditions and and we we learnt a bit on the way through. So uh, one of the things we we learnt was um, the the carbon fibre poles sit into a a socket, a um, a steel socket, which uh, has a, a cut down so you can actually put a bolt in and tighten the socket onto the pole. And uh, within that socket, we put in some compressible material, so the actual fixity at the base of the the socket isn't full fixity. So that provides it more movement. I think um, the, the, the design process was very, very quick and uh, unfortunately you know, these things it would, be, would have been nice to actually have more time to produce more prototypes and uh, you know, prototype stage two and three and four to actually experiment and see what we could do. I know there was a, a, another carbon fibre project in, in Blackpool in, um, in, the, in the UK and uh, it was done by an engineering student and they're, they're beautiful large um, you know, Big, big carbon fibre poles with a bit of a sail at the top of them and they've been sized so that they pick up the wind and, and sort of blow backwards and forwards but you know, they had I think two years of prototyping and, and trying to get it right and it's, it still needs a big wind to actually happen but I think, you know, there's, there's other ideas I think if we had our time again we'd probably have even more padding and maybe different gauges um, depending on the, uh, the, the height from the base of the, the fixing. 
Um, and it's, uh, I suppose, one of the challenges for Amanda was um, this is, although it's a temporary pavilion and it's only up for four months, uh, part of the concept is that at the end of that four months, um, the building is gifted to the City of Melbourne and so then it becomes a permanent pavilion. So the architect has the challenge not only of building a temporary pavilion, but of course building a permanent pavilion, but also making something that can be pulled apart and rebuilt. So it is quite a challenge um, from an architect's, but also of course from an engineering point of view. The other thing which to sort of, when you're in the building, which you don't sort of get the sense of, which is lovely, is that there's quite a lot of structure underneath the building, um, which of course is the strengthening for the poles and the and the and the foundation for the the floor. Yeah, and it, it's one of the nice parts of the project was actually reusing the foundations from the Sean Godsell Pavilion from the year before, so you know, not spending money on on uh, more concrete and, and or more screw piles and that sort of thing. Um, I think we did have the odd screw pile where we, we breached the envelope of the Godsell foundations, but the whole thing sits on the foundations that were here from, from last year, which is a nice thing. And so then basically a, a steel grid or, or um, a plate or steel frame which sits underneath the wooden floor and also sits out underneath some of the grass and cantilevers off the off the original foundations. Um, we, I suppose um, some of the things that, the other thing which was, it's sort of interesting, I suppose with a building like this, some of the very basic stuff, like just transport, um, dictated the size of uh, the petals. Um, the largest one I think is, is it five metres across, Sam? 4.8, 4.8, I think. Yeah. And then the smaller ones are about 2.4. But um, they were being made in Queensland, and so, of course, they had to be transported by road. And that meant that the big petals were made in three parts because that was the size, the only the size that we could get onto a truck. So the, I suppose the only other way would have been to come on a boat or maybe a helicopter. But that was going to be a bit expensive. So they came by road and then they were, the big petals are actually three parts and then joined together and the smaller ones are single ones. Um, obviously, what's also interesting about the building, I think, is how um, from a distance, y you don't, it doesn't sort of read in the same way. And so in a, you, you have to come into the building to really get the experience. Um, a lot of architecture tends to be very, um, graphic, you know, you get the whole message immediately. And I think what we like about this building is how it's something that you really experience. Um, and another aspect of it was that Amanda was keen to see, uh, she wanted the building to sort of sing or to, to do something in the wind or respond to, um, to respond to the weather. Um, rain, of course, was going to be an issue. When she first spoke to Naomi, she said she didn't want any walls. And um, Naomi bravely said, oh, OK, we'll, we'll go with that and see whether, whether it works. Um, we've been blessed with um, very good weather this season, which has been great. But maybe, um, Brendan, you can talk about how which you don't sort of, sometimes you don't get a sense of how um, how layered the roof is. A good spot to look at it is to walk up onto the, the mound where the palm trees are and you really get a sense of how it steps. Yeah, true. <coughs> the, the, the petals are all designed to cascade down one, one or, uh, 
off onto the other one. So I haven't been here in, in heavy rain before, but I'm told that it does actually provide rain protection. There's one or two little areas where it, you spill over and you get a few drops down, but it, it does what uh, Naomi wanted it to do, and it looks like um, Amanda wanted it to look, which is which is great. I, sh I should say as well, Robert, um, I remember when you first approached us and uh, you sent through an image, and it was an image uh, from Amanda Levitt, and uh, l looking at that canopy, it is exactly that image. A apart from maybe the patterning of the, the carbon fibre in the petals, it is exactly that image. It is uncanny how um, how solid an idea she had at the start of the job and how she really stuck to her guns, you know, no side walls and, you know, we, we talked about um, little bits between the panels to stop wind-driven rain and all of that sort of thing and, and she really, as, as all good architects should do, stuck to her, her original idea and carried it through and, and actually sorted out the, uh, all of the issues without compromising it. And I think part of the beauty is that simplicity. There's not, um, there's not a, uh, there's not a lot of things going on. It's 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 the columns, it's the ceiling, it's the floor, and then the way in which the landscape really becomes, I suppose, part of the building, um, and how it frames views, but it also is in the garden, which is really lovely. Um, on that basis, also um, a, a landscape designer called Paul Bangay, um, who had worked with us. Um, last year and did the perennial borders um, in the garden. Uh, he also then put garden beds in around the pavilion because once again that was part of Amanda's sense that the building should uh, merge into the garden and be part of the garden um, and so that it was very accessible. Um, which, yeah, worked well. Um, any, do we want to talk any about any, were there any disasters? I'm, try, I'm trying to think. It's, it's relatively smooth, actually, apart from um, yeah, a lot of uh, late nights and early mornings in, in London. I think uh, it was fairly easy on the design team. Um, yeah, I'd, I mean, with, with the movement, I'd encourage you, uh, and, um, and I've been told not to encourage people, but I'd, enc I'd encourage you to go and actually have a wobble of the poles. So you'll find, like, like uh, Robert says, the ones in the middle, uh, where you have the large pedals. The large pedals are all interconnected. So when you try to move this this pole, it's very solid because you're actually trying to move you know, 30 or 40 poles. Um, whereas if you move to one on the edges, you'll be able to move that back and forward like a fishing rod and, and it will move very easily. And, and they're all the same stiffness. It's just uh, the difference is how many of them are actually mobilized. So when you're, you're moving one on the edges, you're moving three of those poles. And when you're moving this one, you're moving 35 or 36 of the poles. Um, if you really want to get it moving, you can get it in, going in a bit of a torsional action, but I'm giving you a few secrets now so you can come back and play when there's not so many eyes looking at it. Um, yeah, they're, they're, I mean, and they're the sorts of things, as a structural engineer, it's, it's nice to, to get feedback on. When you, you look at these big buildings up, up here, it's, it's very well difficult to get the, um, to get the feedback on, on what the structure is actually doing because it's all so stiff. We, we, do, we do do instrumentation, but it's, it's usually a big exercise. So again, yeah, it was really enjoyable working on something of this scale, seeing it going up, seeing the prototype get made and actually you know, being able to touch and feel and move and, and interact with the structure. And uh, you know, I, th I think that's what Amanda wanted out of the, the project. Um, and that, and interacting with the gardens, like you said, Robert. And, uh, and hopefully that's what, uh, what she's achieved. Yeah. Okay. Um, does anyone have any questions? Why temporary? 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 Why tempor
the reason why it's temporary is that the gardens themselves are the Queen Victoria Memorial Gardens, and so it was legislated that you couldn't, it could never have any other structure in it. And so we got a special dispensation from the government to have to build over four years for temporary pavilions. But the idea was that they couldn't stay, they had to, they had to um, be taken away. And then, and so it's basically, yeah, it's part of the rules. From the original gift, yeah, the, the land is state government, it's managed by the city of Melbourne. Um, but yes, the, the idea was that it, it, you couldn't put anything else on the site. I mean, there have been, over the years, some sculptures have been put on, there's a pavilion, but essentially this sort of, this lawn was sacrosanct and was not to have anything on it. Um, the, the purpose was, uh, as I said, um, a woman called Naomi Milgram set up a foundation to support contemporary design and architecture. And she wanted to, she thought she w her gift was to build these four pavilions. Um, and then we receive some um, support, we support financial support from the City of Melbourne and the State Government to do programming and music in here and events in the, in the building. But essentially Naomi pays for the building and then it's gifted to the city and then it becomes a permanent um, pavilion. So the first pavilion has gone to and I encourage everyone to go and have a look at it. It looks beautiful in its new site. It's behind the Hellenic Museum, which is the old Royal Mint on the corner of William Street. Just there this morning. Did you see it? <laughs> okay, well, go and have a look. It's great. I guess also, uh, Robert, um, yeah, Naomi is from design industry and in, in fashion, and so yeah, she's got an interest in, and wants to you know, develop Melbourne as a, a city of design you know, on the, the global um, stage, I guess. So you know, investing in design, and uh, yeah, particularly here with the arts precinct sort of stretching out, out that way, it's, it's actually a really good fit. And it worked quite nicely. The garden itself, although it's right on St Kilda Road and opposite the Arts Centre, was a garden which wasn't used that much because it sort of wasn't on the way to anywhere. Um, and Naomi's thought was to put something in this garden which sort of activated the whole arts precinct and then got people moving around in it. And what's been nice is that um, the council also saw the potential of doing something in summer or in, in the summer period, which was nice, good for tourism, good for the community. Um, they've added more lighting into the garden to make it safer. And it's also seen a reduction in antisocial behaviour. I think, and that's sort of the nature of, it's like cities. If cities are, are empty and they're not busy, you actually, they're actually more dangerous than if there's more people about. Well, um, next week, <laughs> Sam Redston's going to talk about the, the lighting. And there is lighting, and I didn't mention that, but one of the other nice connections was um, I started to, Amanda wanted to do something with light or respond to the environment. And so every night at sunset, uh, there's a lighting um, a lighting uh, program, which she worked with a, 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 a lighting designer called um, Ben... Cobbin from a company called Blue Bottle who does a lot of theatrical lighting and he were and together with a, a sound artist who created a soundscape and so every night at sunset there's like a soundscape which is integrated with a lighting show so it's quite beautiful so if you can come back at sunset 
it, it, and but that's also another nice aspect of the building. It sort of transforms at night, so you get it. It has a day light, it has a day character, and then a night character. I think it does have its own Facebook page, doesn't it? It's got a website, and I think we've got our own Facebook. Oh, it does. And I think that was part of the idea, to sort of make it... I mean, it's, it's a public space, it's sort of a space which is, is about design, but also how design relates to so many aspects of our life. You know, whether it be uh, garden design, whether it be graphic design, whether it be urban design, um, you know, design plays that role. Um, and also, you know, Naomi is a retailer. She's involved in fashion, so she loves the idea of people using spaces and sort of audience engagement and getting people to think differently about um, the world. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you, Robert. Thank you.